welcome to another amazing episode of the Kenyan Wall Street podcast. My name is Prince Muraguri, the resident economist at the Kenyan Wall Street, and I'll be your host for today. And I'm joined by Nathaniel Peterson, who is the vice president of partnerships at the Busara Center for Behavioral Economics. Busara is a research and advisory firm that is dedicated to advancing and applying behavioral science in the global south. So Nate, welcome to the Kenyan Wall Street podcast. We are very happy to have you with us today. And perhaps you can begin by sharing with our audience uh, a bit about yourself and the work you do at Busara. Sure, yeah, thanks Prince, very happy to be here. Um, thank you for having me and, and Busara more generally. Yeah, so I'm, I'm Nate Peterson. I um, have been at Busara for about three and a half years. Um, Basara is a, was started as a research lab uh, that was affiliated with Princeton University and then IPA, Innovations for Poverty Action, and was kind of initially set on doing research around financial inclusion for lower income people. But it's since evolved in the last few years to become a consultancy that provides behavioral science, um, behavioral science ideas and testing structures so that you know, people in, in you know, countries like Kenya are able to improve product uptake and sustainable use. Again, usually oriented toward the, the sort of bottom of the pyramid, lower income consumers, but, but certainly not always. And, um, you know, a lot of our insights are, are very general. Okay. Well, uh, thanks, thanks for that introduction. And uh, we are happy to have, you know, um, specialists on, on the show today because for sure this is um, a social science subject what we're going to be talking about today. Folks, um, we're going to be talking about reimagining business operations through behavioral economics. Um, and the reason we are going to have this conversation is precisely because this year, 2020, has been a very unique year for not only individuals but also businesses you know, in terms of how they interact with um, their customers. This, this, this year, because of the COVID-19 pandemic, you know, individuals have had to reconfigure how we live our daily lives. You know, uh, people who used to go to work, people who used to go to school, we can't meet as much as we did anymore. And so businesses especially have had to go back to the drawing board in order to better understand how to serve their customers. Because now more than ever, you know, the customer experience is a battleground upon which uh, the titans of industry will fall as new ones emerge as highlighted by the COVID-19 pandemic. So the businesses that used to interact one-on-one -on -one with customers have really to think about the customer experience and the customer journey. And so Nate, you're going to help us look at, you know, how businesses can do this through a behavioral economics perspective. But before we jump right into that, uh, maybe you can give us your general sentiments about 2020 and what it means for businesses. <laughs> yeah, I think in, in some ways, right? I mean, 2020 has been, has been a difficult year for everyone, needless to say. One of the things that I have appreciated though, is it's creating a sort of, you know, like leapfrogging of adaptation into, into more digital economic structures, you know, things that we, you know, we, we knew that in order to, um, you know, help, you know, rural people get access to markets and access to finance that we'd need to digitize. But now because of COVID, there's just, there's a lot of pressure there and businesses don't really have a choice, right? So 
people, people like me who want to, to digitize things in part you know, to collect data and try mechanisms for optimization, who are you know, trying to maybe convince the banks and telcos and, and you know, value chain participants, whether it's agro inputs or, or kind of SMEs who are providing um, any type of, of service to digitize, now everyone, everyone really has to. But I, I think for me, the biggest risk, and I'm seeing, I'm seeing not everyone doing this, but I certainly have seen it, is, uh, is just kind of digitizing the pre-existing structures, right? They're saying, this is what we were doing before. Now we're just going to make it on a platform. And now we're going to use M-Pesa to make the transactions. And that's fine. That's the first and necessary step. But, you know, as my, my friend Vincent, who runs Marathon XP, which is a, you know, a customer experience consultancy here in Nairobi, says, we can't just pave the goat paths, right? We actually need to think about doing this a different way and, and reimagining what the customer experience should be, not just digitizing the current one. Okay, so you spoke about customer experience and why it's important for businesses not to just, you know, um, digitize old existing platform, but to completely change um, the way they've been doing it. And I think this is at the back, or it's at the backbone or at the core of behavioral economics, which, you know, um, let's say traditional economic theory assumes that persons uh, who it refers to as economic agents are 100% rational and also 100% focused on money as the only incentive the, uh, driving their decision-making. That's under the utility maximization um, sort of theorem. Mm. But behavioral economics shows that, you know, perspectives and choices change with context. And for sure, context has changed a lot this year. And so people need to go deeper. Businesses need to go to the next step in order to, to find out what the customer journey will be and how the customer experience will go. So my question would be, what sort of trends are being observed by businesses through a behavioral economics lens this year? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think, you know, in part, Nairobi has been ahead of many, many markets, not just in Africa, but globally, in reimagining and, and coming up with more complex ways of segmenting consumers, really to, to even understand the journeys in the first place, right? And of course, it's because we have, we have these heavy hitters like Safaricom in the market, but we also have a lot of really great professional services that, you know, kind of on the, on the business side have really been, been driving innovative thought on how to, to better understand um, these consumer experiences. I think, you know, from the behavioral economics perspective, we've, we've always understood that, of course, humans aren't purely utility maximizing, right? And, that, and even if, like, what is utility? People, like, economists like to make simple models where it's math, and then we have ones where there's kind of subjective probabilities, subjective evaluations of what that utility is, and we can have social preferences and all these things that they soften and make, make kind of traditional, uh, especially microeconomics, a bit more descriptive of actual humans. But we've, we've realized in that process that there are these very different ways that, that individuals can be oriented towards solving the problems in their lives. And I think that's one of the areas that we are tiptoeing into in the consumer experience side of things here, right? So we are thinking about not just these, these kind of simple KYC, you know, know your customer demographic segmentation um, metrics, you know, age, gender, uh, this type of thing. But now we are thinking a bit more about some of their 
their behavioral proclivities, right? How do they assess risk? How much respect for, for authority do they have? Because that might impact whether they're repaying a loan. And I think now that we're in this world where people's willingness to engage with the market can depend much more on their kind of psychological risk perception and fears and things like that, that really those, those psychographic metrics that used to just augment or improve the, the normal KYC, simple demographic components, they're kind of front and center now. That's actually might be the more important thing, uh, you know, whether or not people want to adopt this new digital process uh, and, and how open they are to new experiences might actually be more important than their age or their gender now. And so it, it's almost flipped uh, in terms of what we are thinking of as the most important attributes of, of decision-making consumers to understand. I, I think you're, you're completely right in terms of even your, your sort of mood is very different in 2020. So your decision-making, some of the factors that would gain higher weighting in a different year may be different this year because of you know, the sort of mood that people are in, um, the timing of it all. And so given that this is the current state of the market, you know, as businesses struggle to come back into the economy, just how important is behavioral economics as a part, as a core part of the business strategy? Because companies may focus on things like operational strategy, pricing strategy, marketing strategy, etc. Mm -hmm. So just how important would behavioral economics be in this particular day and age? <laughs> I mean, of course, I'm going to say it's, it's incredibly important, maybe the most important, but I can, I can substantiate that a bit. Mm -hmm. So I think, um, I think when, when, you know, companies are thinking about uh, optimizing their products and services to capture market share, they, they have had a bit of, of certainty and consistency in predicting how consumers would behave. And I think just due to the uncertainty, I mean, right now, right, we've been in this, this COVID world for, for months. I'm, I'm an American, as everyone can probably tell from my accent. And the place I'm from is just, it's just insane, right? We didn't know if, if the U.S. was destined for four more years of Trump or not. Do, do we even still? I, I'm, again, painting this from an American perspective. But even here in Kenya, we, we don't exactly know what will be allowed. You know, the curfew is fluctuating up and down by an hour, but could things suddenly be, be closed off again? I, I don't think so. Who will be, which, which students will be in school? There's so much assumptions about our context don't really hold anymore. And I think what behavioral economics brings some, some interesting insights about typical kind of proclivities of decision-making, but more importantly, and I think more importantly for what, what Busara does, is that it focuses on testing things in context in real time, right? A much more monitoring and optimization of current structures. And we try to use the behavioral theories to, to make intelligent guesses about how to do that and how, which things to test in the first place. But I think really it's telling us that we have to just be much more dynamic and learn from the market and not try to assert things on the market that we just think based on past experience should work. And so that's really what I, what I'm, I think that behavioral, behavioral science in general and behavioral economics specifically is, is bringing to this, is just this willingness to make, to make very few assumptions and just test, test, test. Okay. So given that, then I think when, when businesses are really trying to establish the voice of the customer and the, the customer experience and customer journey, 
you know, it's going to be based on a service design that has to be optimized for these behavioral tendencies that will allow the companies to deeply understand the customer and map their customer journeys. And finally, you know, design products and services based on very clear value propositions and human decision processes. So as a business, maybe a business owner who's listening to this podcast, how can they go about forming this new model of customer experience? Yeah, <laughs> uh, kind of related to my last point, but maybe expanding a bit further is that, you know, there are lots of, of consultants. I've been a consultant for majority of my professional life who, you know, they have a lot of past experience and expertise. And they'll come in and say, you know, we know that this behavioral proclivity is at work. You know, whether they're coming at this from kind of as a, as a marketing person, even as someone who has worked in field operations or, or as someone who does pricing. And I think holding those things as hypotheses about how the market will adjust, but then saying, you know, here are my four ideas, test them is really the only rational way that, that business owners can adapt. If someone comes in and tells you they have the silver bullet, they make some great story about how a particular you know, segment or your entire consumer base might react to something, you can't trust it because they just don't know. You know nobody really knows. And, and I think that it's really, really tough even to have kind of one-off consulting engagements. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't be saying this as a person from Busara because I think the whole idea is we need to shift more to this like adaptive mindset. And that's a much more important thing than figuring out how to you know, make a smooth digital experience for this month because what that digital experience might need to be could, could change again later. And so really having people who think kind of in this experimental behaviorally informed way as more integrated parts of your, your customer journey mapping and, and kind of product design, solution design, I think is more critical. And so having kind of more frequent, but maybe even smaller touch points, I think is more critical than having, you know, a behavioral economist come in and redesign all of your, all of your technical products in a month, right? Mm -hmm. I, I, think, I think really having those consultants adapt to your company is, is critical. So don't, don't trust these expensive, I'll take a quick look and tell you exactly what to do people because they don't know right. don't let them convince you right i actually believe um a lot of a company's potential solutions would be found by the company's internal organization you know the team itself rather than an external person coming to hypothesize it's better for the team to organically organically generate some of these solutions because they have been there they understand what's going on it, it, yeah, absolutely. And, so, and we, we need to be listening to people. I think, you know, so I'm, Basara works a lot in kind of the, the development space I'm putting in quotes, right, where we are trying to help, help low income people have, have better lives. And one of the traditional assumptions about, for example, people in Kenya is that maybe there were so many side hustles, people were trying to kind of mitigate risk by doing lots of these different kind of income generating streams and fluctuating between them but like you know people really need to focus they need to focus their energy and their training on on making sure they're doing really well at chicken farming if they're chicken farmers or at being a junior developer if they're a programmer and i think that's still the case but i mean i think kenyan kenya especially has adapted extraordinarily well to covid and this kind of crazy mixed up life actually because of that 
<laughs> diversification of income streams. And uh, I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, everyone should have five side hustles, but I think, I think, you know, in part Kenya has been more adaptive for that reason, which just flies completely in the face of, of some of the assumptions that people were making before COVID hit. So, you know, I, I just think that it, it's, people really need to, to spend time with the actual decision makers, whether it's consumers, whether it's their, their kind of labor, but those consultants need to sit with your field staff and listen before they speak. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, I think this is a good thing for Kenyans and I'm sure many other African countries are learning from Kenya, especially because, you know, there has been a lot of online communication. You don't need to go to Nigeria or Uganda to be able to do a skills transfer. You and I are having this interview right now on Zoom, which is one of the byproducts of this adaptability. We are, as Kenyan Wall Street, we had to move most of our interviews online and here we are enjoying some of those benefits. So that's a good thing, Nate. Um, I come to the close of this interview, I'd like to specifically ask what sort of programs or services or packages Usara is offering for businesses. Or in other words, if a business owner is listening to our conversation today, and they, they'd like it, um, how can Busara come in to help them through? Yeah, no, that, that's an excellent question. I think, you know, I'm, I'm going to say this doesn't, this doesn't just have to be Busara. Fortunately for, for people in Nairobi, especially, there are a lot of, of great options for people who are experts in, you know, they'll call it design or human-centered design or behavioral science, behavioral economics. There actually is a lot of expertise in creating these adaptive structures in Nairobi. And many of them are entirely Kenyan. They're not these international organizations like Busara. But with Busara specifically, we've also had to pivot a bit, right? One, we're doing a lot more work in the health space, as you might imagine. But mm -hmm. two, when we're working with firms, you know, we're really trying to help make sure things like, like SMEs, these small and medium enterprises that make up a majority of our economy, are able to get the right financial products. And, and kind of repay them and continue on this journey of, of ensuring that they'll be supported. I, I honestly think that the companies that kind of most wholeheartedly adapt this mindset shift of fewer assumptions, more testing, and kind of this very consumer-led approach are going to end up with much larger market shares. And they're going to end up kind of absorbing other people, right? One thing that these downturns have taught us, whether it's you know, the Great Depression in the US or the other types of, of stresses here, is that when the, the companies who adapt first end up having the cash flow to continue buying inputs, to continue paying the top staff or, or absorbing the top staff, and, and you know, they, they can create a much more solid market foothold that creates this like, really intense you know, condensation of the market. Uh, that I think I think you're actually going to see more larger firms, especially in the digital space, who the ones who adapted first will kind of take over. Uh, so in, in some ways, I think it's a bit of a race, but it's not a race just to design new products. It's a race to have consumer-led approaches to the market. Okay, thank you. Thank you for that. Now, um, I think I'll, I'll, I'll want my final question to be a sort of general question because you are a behavioral design research specialist and Busara is in the business of, you know, behavioral economics, particularly in the global south, in African countries and other developing places around the world. And, you know, 
a lot of the education literature that exists on on you know most things in in, in society is from western industrialized you know educated rich democratic nations but i'm sure there are differences that are observed here for example in kenya so in terms of behavioral biases um that exist for example the anchoring bias the overconfidence effect the endowment effects all those have you in your work or as part of busara noticed any particular type of behavioral biases that are more prevalent among the Kenyan people as compared to maybe other other places in the world? Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, that's a great question. I'll, I'll answer this kind of at a meta level and then a micro level. So I think, you know, in through my education, realizing how important context was, and, you know, we have this, this kind of weird, the Western educated, industrialized, rich democratic societies where the research has come, like you said, and then it's applied here. I was like, oh, well, you know, now I'm at Busara and I live in Nairobi and we're doing things in greater context. I'm running field projects, you know, in, in uh, uh, Machakos now. So that, that's clearly like this is in Kenya. We're getting our, our ideas from. And it's funny, right? It, and I, I was so smug about that, that, you know, this is much more contextualized research and it's better than all of this stuff my, my, my you know, more academic friends in the U.S. might be putting out. But I realized so, so quickly that that even you know, county to county or within counties that might have lots of microclimates, that even the contextualization within Kenya can be really extreme, right? If you're, mm -hmm. if, you know, I kind of, I kind of live in the, the little area between where Kiambu, Kajiado, and Nairobi City counties all come together, right? And I can look, I can look five kilometers to the west, where it's much drier. And if I'm measuring someone's, you know, how optimistic they are about the future of, of their farm or their, their livelihoods, they might have a very different impression than, than someone who's in, in Gitaru and is getting amazing rainfall and there's so much development. And, you know, I, I think the really interesting thing I found is that within Kenya, especially just because of how diverse this country is, that it's like a microcosm of the entire world. So I wouldn't really say that I would say that Kenyans are much more open to pivoting and being really dynamic. If I had to make one broad generalization is mm -hmm. that Kenyans are adaptive of anything else, but for lots of the other psychographic indicators, like the, the psychological mechanisms, uh, I, I just see, you know, within 10 kilometers, you can have completely different outcomes in Kenya, which is why, again, the kind of testing and precision is, ends up being the most important thing. Wow. Okay. So I understand that, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's a complex equation with many factors depending on where you are. Um, but the overall overarching theme is that Kenyans really are adaptable, adaptive and adaptable to different kinds of situations. And I think that's a good thing. So with that nature, yeah. I think we've covered um, a great deal of what we wanted to talk about today. And I want to thank you for coming through with these insights. Thank you very much for being on the podcast. It was absolutely a pleasure and we hope to host Busara Center for Behavioral Economics on many other platforms in the future. Thanks, Prince. Yeah, this was a good time for me as well and I look forward to future conversations. Okay, um, and if, if the folks want to get in touch with you um, via social media, would you share any link? Um, Twitter? Yeah, busaracenter.org. Yeah, yeah, I can, sh I can share links. Otherwise, busaracenter.org will take you to us. Um, and we're, we're pretty easy to, to find. And I think, you know, in the, in the sort of professional services sector, in Nairobi especially, we're, we're quite well known. But if you haven't met us, someone from Busara, we're, we're quite large, 160 odd people now, um, feel free to reach out.
Okay. Well, there you have it, folks. Feel free to reach out. And um, you can also get in touch with us at the Kenyan Wall Street on Twitter. Or even get in touch with me personally at Prince underscore Muraguri. With that, um, we say goodbye for now. Have a very wonderful rest of the day. And tune in to the next amazing episode of the Kenyan Wall Street podcast.